when both of them are on. All right, good evening. Welcome to Bible study. Uh, we had a good one last week, I think, starting off in Deuteronomy. Uh, again, as I, I said, this is going to be a systematic Bible study through the book. Uh, we are going to, you know, do observations of the text and all those things. Um, some parts we'll speed through, especially when we get down to some of the the laws. We'll just get the overall principles of those uh, because we don't follow those. But uh, we're just going systematically through like we do with we've done before with other books, like when we went through Genesis. Uh, we you know took our time going through it and Exodus also. So we're going to do the same with Deuteronomy. So we got down to verse 18 uh, last week, looking at the uh, charges that were given to those who were going to be rulers of men, um, the way that they were supposed to judge and how that looks in our current uh, context and how it uh, relates to the gospel. So tonight we're going to begin at verse uh, 19, but before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer because it is the Spirit of God who gives us understanding, discerning spirit, and uh, gives us illumination of what we study. So let's ask the Lord for his help. So Lord, we come to you tonight asking for the Spirit's help. Help me to teach this lesson uh, well, tonight, as we finish out the first chapter and begin the second chapter, uh, this uh, fifth book of your word of the law, well, I pray that you send your spirit to illuminate your truth to all of us who hear it, both here at the church and those who are watching on the Facebook and those who may listen to it on the podcast. And Lord, just refresh us by your word. We don't want to just be filled with uh, head knowledge, but we also uh, want heart knowledge uh, apply your truth to our heart by means of the holy spirit the third person of the trinity in christ's name i pray amen so just a short recap uh last week we looked at the beginning of the first chapter and we look as i said about deuteronomy it is a series of sermons from moses this is moses's uh farewell uh address to Israel because we you know looked last week uh, he's not going to be able to go into the promised land because of when he sinned and rebelled against the Lord uh, so this book is a collection of Moses last sermons to uh, Israel his last commands to them as they get ready to go into the promised land and remember they're on the left side of the uh, Jordan River they haven't crossed over yet they're right at the cusp going to the promised land and we recall that the promised land uh, is a picture of heaven uh, it's an imperfect picture of heaven uh, them going to the promised land is a picture of our promised land which is uh, hev uh, heaven so we looked at that and we looked at uh, the fact that Moses um, chronicled that they made a 40 rather an 11 day journey into 40 years and we looked at uh, back in the book of Numbers why that was because Israel had rebelled against God uh, when the, the spies were sent into the land uh, to spy out the promised land and you know 10 came back with the evil report and 2 Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report and we read those scriptures 
uh, where God had um, basically cursed those, the older generation, that their carcasses were going to fall in the wilderness. And they were not going to the promised land, but those who were under the age of 20 uh, were going to do that. So that's why their journey became 40 years. So Deuteronomy is in the 40th year. And so Moses uh, recalled that. And so the Lord has spoke to, uh, to him. We talked about uh, the inspired word uh, of God and how uh, scripture is, is inspiration of God. So Moses spoke the very words of God. Uh, when God spoke to him and Moses talked about how he needed to appoint leaders because he could not lead these people by himself. And so God had commanded him uh, how to do that. And we talked about how godly leadership looks in scripture and how we ought to apply that in our context. And we looked also at uh, the leaders of God's people ought to be men. We looked at first Timothy three and Titus one, the qualifications for pastors, elders, you know, bishops, same office. And uh, we also looked at how they are to judge. That was at the end of our first section, beginning in verse uh, 16, that they should judge righteously without partiality, without pressure or intimidation, you know, fear of man. Uh, they must judge within the scope of their limitations. And then God gave them their uh, final charge in verse 18. So now we're in the section uh, where uh, Israel's earlier disobedience um, is put into play so it says in verse 19 it says so we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us then we came to Kadesh Barnea and I said to you you have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord your God has given us look the Lord your God has set the land before you go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers had spoken to you do not fear or be discouraged and every one of you every one of you rather came near to me and said let us send men before us let them search out the land for us so what Moses is doing here he's again recalling remember the first four chapters are recalling their 40 years so this is when they uh, this is chronicle in the book of numbers that we read last week numbers 13 and 14 let us send men before us and let us search out the land for us. Let them rather search out the land for us. Bring back word to us by the way which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. So the plan pleased me well. This is Moses speaking in the first person. So I took the 12 of your men, one from each tribe. They departed, went up to the mountains, came to the valley of Eshal and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. They brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord your God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw the, saw rather how the Lord your God carried you 
as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place, to search out a place rather for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of, Jef son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to his children, I am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Come over your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So you see, this is again Moses explaining what their rebellion had caused them. So I want to go back right quick before I finish that section to the 19th verse. So um, Moses gives a historical lesson to them in this section. He gives a historical lesson to them. First, he gave them a historical challenge to trust God and to possess the land. We see that again in verses 19 through 21. Notice the words here. He says, go into the land, the way of the Amorites. I'm going in, uh, back in verse 19. As the Lord your God had commanded us. So who commanded them to go? God. So this meant that if God commanded them to go, that he would be with them. God is the one. They didn't do this on their own volition. These were people out in the wilderness that had never been in before. So God had commanded them to go into the wilderness. So God telling them this is he, he's telling them to trust me. I'm telling you to go. It says in verse 20 here, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is what? Giving us. God is giving it to them. It's not because of anything they did. It's because of, remember, God's covenant to Abraham, God's covenant to Isaac, God's covenant to Jacob. God promised Abraham that they would possess his land, that he was going to make him a great nation, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through your seed. So God is giving them this land, giving it to them. He says again in verse 21, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. So they were to take charge of the promised land. He says, go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be what? Discouraged. You know, that's one of the most, I think that's the one of or the most uh, promised command in the Bible to um, do not fear. That's the most prominent command from God in the scriptures. Do not fear. And that's what he told Israel. Do not fear. But we're sinners, just as they were. 
And they what? They feared. You know, we could look at Israel and say, man, they, they had God right there with them. You know, they had the ark of the testimony with them. They saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They saw, the, they saw God with them, literally with them. But yet they still didn't believe. And we say, man, if I was living back then, uh, no, we wouldn't have. Because we're sinners. We're fallen people. And Israel was a fallen people. Although they were God's chosen people, they were still sinners. And it shows in this. And what this shows us is, despite God's goodness to man, man's heart is still bent toward rebellion. That's why man needed a savior. Uh, because God's goodness taught us, as, as Paul said in Romans 2, the goodness of God leads to repentance, or it should lead to repentance. Don't you know, do you not know that the goodness of God leads to repentance? God's goodness toward us is not for us to just receive the fact that we're that God is good or that, you know, we're blessed and highly favored, as people say. No, that is for our repentance, to, to turn to God. That's what God's goodness is for. Same thing with trusting God. God tells us to trust him so that we can trust him. God is the only one who is trustworthy. He is the only one who fulfills his promises. So Israel sees this. God tells him, do not fear or be discouraged. But verse 22 the failure of disbelief and fear. Every one of you came near to me and said, let us see me in before us, okay? Let's go out and search out the land. Okay, so we'll do that. We'll acquiesce. We'll, we'll, we'll send out men into the land. So they sent out the reconnaissance mission. And that's basically what it was. It was a, it was a uh, reconnaissance mission. They were, they were like force recon, special forces. They sent out the, the 12 men to go. And it was a, you know, it was a few days journey there and back and went like they did it in one day okay so they went to spy out the land and they came back verse 25 they brought back words saying what it is good land which the lord has given us would god ever give them anything that's bad would god give them bad land no he would not because he's a good god he's faithful to his people he's faithful to his covenant they came back and said the Lord has given us his land and it is good. That transition word in verse 26, I know in the New King James, it says nevertheless. Nevertheless means despite that or in spite of. So in spite of them coming back saying that the land is good, that the Lord has given them, despite that, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord. What was the command of God? Go. That was God's command. They rebelled against God. Rebellion had resulted. So what did Moses do with their rebellion? He, as the mediator, he reassured them as the prophet, the mouthpiece of God. He says what? Verse 29. Do not be terrified or afraid of them. Why? Verse 30. The Lord your God. According. And look at this. According. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. The Lord your God who goes before you. He will fight for you. According to all he did for you in Egypt. Before your eyes. They saw it. 
Those who were 40 and older, they saw it. They were part of that group that came out of Egypt. They were the ones who were crying out to God to deliver them. And God told Moses that he hears the cries of his people, and he told Moses to go down to Pharaoh, tell him to let his people go. These people, the older ones, they saw the Red Sea crossing. They were the ones who crossed through that water with the sea pushed back on both sides. They saw Pharaoh's army drown. They saw it. So Moses said, hey, look what God did in the past. And this is saying God that you serve. He said, the Lord, your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. Reassurance. You ever try to give reassurance to a person and they just refuse to you know it's different when we're doing it with us because sometimes we renege on our promises we do we're not going to always fulfill promises that we, we can reassure people hey man I, you know I'll pay you back I'm good you know <laughs> it, it can be just in a situation you know you try to assure a person you know I got you I'm, I'm you know and back of their minds I don't know why? Because they're trusting another fallen person. This is God. And Moses has to reassure Israel to trust God. That's how fallen our nature is. When our hearts are not regenerated. That God, we see all the promises. God tells us, um, Hebrews 13 and 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you so that you may boldly say the Lord is my help I will not fear what can man do unto me that's Hebrews 13 and 5 we hear that promise but yet there are moments where we think that God doesn't hear us right we get in our moments we get in our pity parties that nobody else is going to come to and we think the Lord doesn't love us or God is for the believer, God is angry at us. That God's forgotten about us. We've been praying to God for certain things for so long, for maybe for the salvation of a, a child or for health or whatever it may be. We've been praying to God and pleading with him. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like God hears us. And we get in our little pity parties and, 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 uh, and whatnot and think that somehow God has forsaken us. But when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, guess what? He will never leave us nor forsake us. We leave and forsake people. But God never does. We're so sinful that we need to be reminded. Remember, one of God's attributes is immutability, meaning he does not change. God does not change. He is un he's the unchanging God. He never changes. He's consistent with who he is. When God says to Israel, I will go before you, he'll go before them. But yet, no matter what assurance. And then he uses, I like this analogy here. Verse 31, in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. That's very fatherly and very gingerly. That's a good analogy there. 
That's how God cares for us as his children. Just as he cared for covenant Israel, he cares for believers that way. God carries us like a father does his son. A good father would not forsake his son. God is a good father. He is a good father. And so he used that analogy with Israel, that illustration. As a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. But they rejected the Lord despite his demonstrated faithfulness, his guidance and power. Yet, for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you, to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Now, we must understand this, this overarching principle of this part of this uh, scripture in Deuteronomy. Rebellion always has consequences. In even our, um, outside of rebellion against God, you think about in the uh, micro, okay, small picture. The Bible tells children to do what? Honor your mother and your father, that your days may be long upon earth, that it may go well with you. It doesn't mean that you're going to live a long life, but your life will be, you have less grief and less strife in your life if you honor your parents. Even if your parents are not worthy of honor, you still honor them. That your days may be long upon earth, that is the first commandment we promise. That your days may be long upon the earth. That it may go well with you. You want to see what a child looks like who rebels against their parents? Now you got the worst examples uh, in the streets. The crime that takes place. The jails filling up. The, the juvenile halls uh, filling up with rebellious children. Children being suspended from school and and all those things. Why? Because they, they rebel. There's consequences to rebellion on a small scale. Rebellion always brings consequences. Rebelling against authority does the same thing. It brings consequences. You rebel against law enforcement, guess what? You go on to jail. Or you may very well lose your life. If you get pulled over and you want to rebel and not obey the officer's orders and then you try to wrestle with the officer or you try to run away from the officer or you try to run over the officer with your car or you go on a high speed chase and put the lives of not even yourself not only yourself but others at danger that rebellion has consequences and that's on the micro that's in every day you rebel on your job you get what fired they got a point system and you say I don't care about those points I'm going to be late for work you cross those points and you get fired you can't get mad if you got fired because of your stupidity and being rebellious there's always consequences to rebellion look at it 
macro, big picture here in Scripture, or rebelling against God. Disbelief and rebellion has consequences. Whenever we disbelieve God, disbelief leads to rebellion. So what, what are the consequences? We see that in verses 34 through 36. The evil generation is judged. And the Lord heard the sound of your word. This is again recalling uh, the people murmuring in Numbers uh, 13 and 14. The Lord heard their words and he was angry and took an oath. And when God takes an oath, <laughs> guess what? He, he's not going to renege on that. Surely not one of these men of this evil generation. Notice what he called them, evil. Rebellion is what? It's evil. It's like when um, in 1 Samuel, I think 16, when God had sent uh, King Saul to destroy the, uh, the Amalekites. And God told him, don't spare anything. Don't even spare the animals. You know, kill them all. So, you know, Saul goes out and, you know, they go to war. And they come back and, you know, he meets uh, the prophet Samuel says, you know, I, I, I did what the Lord said. Dude, this is in 1 Samuel. Uh, let's turn it right quick. 1 Samuel 16. He says, basically, you know, I, I did everything the Lord uh, told me to do. But Samuel heard the bleeding of sheep, you know, bah. you know, he heard the sheep and, and, you know, King Saul said, I, I, you know, I, I spared the best of the sheep to, you know, you know sacrifice to the Lord. And so we're going to pick up this in it's first Samuel 16. We're talking about rebellion here and, and the consequences of it and how rebellion is, uh, analogous to evil in God's eyes so you look at 1 Samuel 16 so I'm oh, sorry back in uh, 15 1 Samuel 15 so Saul spare Agag uh, verse I'm going to just skip through uh, chapter 15 the Lord sent him to know the king over the people uh, verse 2 he will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. Now, verse 3, go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Kill man and woman, infant and nursing, child, ox, and sheep, camel, donkey. Kill everything. Saul gathered and uh, 200,000 foot soldiers. You know, verse, <laughs> verse 6, he told the uh, Kenites to go and depart from among the Malachites. He wasn't supposed to do that. Okay. Uh, verse 7. Saul attacked the Amalekites. Verse 8. He took Agag alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. What did God tell him to do? Kill Agag also. And then Saul, uh, they spared the best of the sheep, oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. So guess what? He rebelled against God. So Saul comes to him. I'm sorry, Samuel comes to him. <laughs> Verse 10, is, so this is, this is like comedy right here. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I set up Saul as king 
for he turned from following me and is not before my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. He cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose in the morning, met Saul, told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. He has gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Bless are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, oh, it's, it, it's nothing. You know, they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice of the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. That's very ominous right there. And he said, Speak on. When you were little, your eyes were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Saul so said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. See, he's being insistent that he did obey God. That's what rebellion does. You try to justify yourself. He says, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder. So he's blaming it on the people. But he's the leader. He's the king. He is who God had charged to make sure that the work was done. So Samuel said, verse 22, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is bad as sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. This is what I want to get to. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. That's, that's very evil. And stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So God likens rebellion to witchcraft, evil, demonic, wicked. That's how rebellion is in God's eyes. It is evil. It is wicked. It is demonic. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So this is how serious rebellion was to God. So looking at Israel's rebellion. This is why God was so harsh with his punishment of them because of rebellion. They did evil. So he called them an evil generation because that's what rebellion is. So he continues in verse 35. Shall see that the good land of which I swore to you, they should not see it. Man, they wasted 40 years. <laughs> They wasted 40 years, except Caleb, of course, and then uh, Joshua. So Moses judged, but Joshua was elevated. Moses was judged in verse 37. He says, the Lord was angry also with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Moses' disobedience was of the same kind as Israel's. Moses had failed to honor God just as Israel did. 
He was God's prophet to his people. He was their leader. So he suffered judgment also. Then, of course, Joshua was elevated. And the younger generation in verse 39 were promised to possess the land. And then verse 40, but as for you, turn and take your journey to the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. So that's what happened to Israel. God told them to turn back toward the Red Sea, so they were going back into the wilderness. And that was the beginning of that 40-day uh, journey. So now we get to this verse 41. Then you answered and said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up to the mountain. And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you what? Would not listen. Would not listen. So they rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up to the mountain. To, to presume is, I think it's like willingly or willfully. Like you're just going to do it anyway. That's what it means to be presumptuous. You're just going to do it anyway, just willfully. You presumptuously went up to the mountain and Amorites who dwell in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Sierra to Horma. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord will not listen to your voice nor give it to you. So you remain in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. So they presumed they had self-confidence. This principle of this section, uh, presumption and self-confidence can never be substituted for genuine faith and obedience. Genuine faith and obedience matters more than self-confidence because self-confidence can lead to sin and rebellion. Well, you just feel, I'm just going to do it anyway despite the clear commands in scripture despite the clear prohibitions that scripture gives we just have this confidence in our sinful selves this presumption we, we, pres we presume we just willfully rebel against God that's, that's uh, a presumptuous sin I think one of the psalmists talks about keeping me from presumptuous sins. That means keeping me from willful sins. Just going headlong at the sin, knowing that it's wrong, knowing that it is rebellion against God. God told them, you're not going to go up against those people. I'm not going to be with you. He said, I'll be with you when you go to the promised land, but you didn't want to go. But... <laughs> To go up against the Amorites, God said, I'm not going to be with you, and you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> you see, 
You see, you see what rebellion does? It deceives us. It gives us false, a false sense of self and a false sense of self-confidence. We say, oh, I could do this without God. I don't need God's help. I don't need the Lord's blessing on this endeavor. I, I, I can do it. I'm smart enough. Yeah, I, I know that, you know, it's a sin against God, but I think I got this. I, I'm going to just do it anyway. You think about in our culture today, you have those who are living in rebellion against God uh, regarding uh, human sexuality. They say, ah, I can mutilate my body and, 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 and become the opposite sex. I, I know what I'm doing. You know, I, I can trust the doctors and I can trust the prescriptions. I can trust the gender reaffir uh, reaffirming or gender affirmation surgeries. I can, yeah, I got that. I got the money to get that done. That self-confidence against God's clear commands in Scripture. It can never be substituted for true faith and obedience. It is faith and obedience that leads to blessings. Not presumption and self-confidence. Those things lead to rebellion. Self-confidence leads to rebellion because you're, you're confiding in your, your flesh. When the Bible tells us all flesh is as grass. So when we have that self-confidence, we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up. And that's what Israel did. So they went before the uh, Amorites. God said he wasn't going to be with them. They went anyway. And they had remorse. Verse 45 again. You returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord would not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. Let me ask you this question. Does God have to give ear to us especially when we rebel against him is he obligated to that's right say that say that uh, again for the people in the mezzanine yes God doesn't hear the prayers of those who regard iniquity you know, because I, I think about people who are, even unbelievers, sometimes ask for prayer. And my thought is always, who are we going to pray to? Are we going to pray to the God that you don't believe in? That's who we're praying to. But I have, you know, I see that on Facebook a lot. People say prayers, prayers appreciated. And these are people who don't believe in God. They, they're hostile against God. Or they're just not believers altogether. They think that, you know, you just pray. Like, pray to who? Who am I praying to? If you're a sinner, if you're rebellion, God's not going to hear your prayers. He's not obligated to. So God was not obligated to hear the prayers of Israel. So what happens? Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then we turned and journeyed into the what? Wilderness. That word. 
into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. Basically, they went in a circle. <laughs> they went in a circle for many days. They spent a long time at Kadesh and now they're circling around uh, Mount Seir for a long time. So it says here, verse 2, And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. This is a little known fact. I still have my notebook back there. I preached my one of my first sermons at my old, old church on that verse right there. And it was about coming out of the wilderness of, of sin. I still got my little notes back there. I may embarrass myself and uh, read it. But I, it was on that verse. You have skirted this mountain long and uh, turned northward. I think the King James says, turn ye northward or something like that. Uh, but I preached one of my first sermons back in two, uh, 1991, I think, on that very verse right there. Anyway, and command the people saying you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money you shall, uh, that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So, they're crossing to the land of Edom. Again, you have divine revelation in verse 2. The Lord spoke to Moses. And they give they get, they get their travel instructions. So, uh, the instructions are again they're going through the land of the descendants of Esau and then he gives them a warning of course as we read in verses 4 and 5 a warning don't be afraid watch yourselves don't meddle with them just buy what food and water that's all you need to do so God providentially was going to provide for them And so we see in verse 7 again, we see the acknowledgement of God's uh, provision. How did God provide for them? They lacked what? Nothing. And, we, you know, I always say this. People say, oh, the God of the Old Testament was, was bloodthirsty and, you know, he was not a God of mercy. Yes, he was. We see it right here in this verse. These 40 years, the Lord has been what? With you. Look at how rebellious they were. He was still with them. He still guided them by that pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They have lacked nothing despite their rebellion. God has always been merciful. Okay? He's not yin and yang. He's not like two-faced. No. God is always, he's consistently merciful. 
And so when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Geber, we turn and pass by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given our of the descendants of Lot as a possession. So they crossed the land of Moab, and God spoke to them again and gave them a warning. You're going to see this a lot as this is chronicled. He gives them warnings, and he gives the historical background in verse 10. For Eman had dwelt there many times past, a people as great and numerous, as tall as Anakim. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Eman. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, or Seir, rather. I don't know how you pronounce that. I say Seir. But the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. So this is basically giving a, a background. So more travel instructions given in verse 13 and 14 uh, to where to travel. The hand of God was against them. I'm sorry. Now rise, verse 13, and cross over the valley of Zered. So we cross over the valley of the Zered. And the time we took over from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years. Until all the generation of the man of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had swore to them. So this, all this, the wilderness was, in essence, discipline. It was the Lord disciplining his people. And what it points to is the discipline of sin and rebellion. That sin and rebellion is disciplined by the Lord. So this, these 38 years was God disciplining that older generation because remember he said that their carcasses were going to fall in the wilderness. So this was a divine discipline of his people. For their what? Rebellion against him. For their disbelief. The sin of disbelief brings the discipline of God. The Lord chastens those, loves those whom he disciplines. The writer in Hebrews tells us that. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. He chastened them because they were, God loved Israel. He chose them. They were, and we're going to see that in, in the 6th in the and 7th chapter, in 8th chapter, I think. But God still disciplines uh, rebellion, and he did this with them. So these 38 years uh, were that. Until all that generation. I can only imagine knowing for these people that they were not going to live to go into the promised land. What went in their minds? I mean, scripture doesn't scripture silent on that, so I can't say, but I'm just thinking, just knowing that they were going to die in the wilderness. You know, we fear death so much in our in our, you know, we do because of, of the fall of um, our first parents. You know, we fear death. We, you know, especially when you know it's coming. I mean, I can only imagine. And they didn't know when, but they just knew that they weren't going to make, make it over. And so 
38 years, uh, you know, they had to, to, to deal with that. The hand of the Lord again was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So now they come into Ammon in verses 16 through 25. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me saying, this day you are to cross over at R, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass nor meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession. So this is the third group of people that God told them that, you know, not to meddle with that. They were not going to possess that land because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. This is also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zemzum, Zemzum, a people as great and numerous as tall as Anakin. But the Lord destroyed them, uh, destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as He had done for the descendants of Esau who had dwelt in Seir, and He destroyed the Horites, you know, so forth and so on. So verse 24, rise, take your journey across the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon of this land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So God gives further warnings to them. And then you have the transition of generations from the older to the new generation. And so now he says, we're going to possess a land. Okay. So now they're going to finally uh, possess the land, as it says here in verses 24 and uh, 25. We talked about the defeat of Sihon, of course. And so, I think it was it was in numbers where they uh, we read that last week where they uh, defeated uh, Sihon and Og. So in order to conquer the land, do you think Israel is just going to walk into those lands? <laughs> Say, hey, we're taking over your land. That's not how conquest happens, right? Conquest happens by what? By war. So Israel was a nation of war. So they had to conquest Sihon and Og. Let me see how much time we have. Okay, we got 10 minutes, so I'm going to try to get through uh, King Sihon being defeated. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Catamoth of Sihon, king of uh, Hespen, with the words of peace. Let me pass through your land. I will uh, keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to right to left. So, he goes to Sihon and says, hey, we just want to pass through. That's all. They gave, God gave them divine travel instructions. Okay. Hey, we just want to pass through. That's all. Not trying to bother anybody. So he was showing what? Diplomacy. He's being a good diplomat. That's the way good leaders are. They, they try diplomatic means first. Okay, think about when Moses went to Pharaoh. What did he tell Pharaoh? Let my people go. But Pharaoh did what? Harden his heart. Did it again. 
hard his heart. So what did God do? He sent 10 plagues his way. And after each plague, Pharaoh said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> but then he still what? Harder his heart. So Moses was acting as a diplomat, representing God, representing God's kingdom, representing God's people. Okay, he was an ambassador in essence. Coming with terms of what? Peace. Hey, just let us go through. You shall send me food for money that I may give, eat, and, uh, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just as Esau did. But Sihon, verse 30, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. I'm going to get more into this next week about uh, why God hardens hearts. But Sihon, by his own volition, did refuse the uh, request. So they go in. Sihon is uh, antagonistic and he is stubborn. And so what does Israel do? The Lord said to me, see, I have begun to give Sihon and his land over to you begin to possess it that you may inherit his land and then of course all the people came out from Sihon and the Lord delivered him over to us so we defeated him his sons and all his people guess who missed out on this the older generation because they had rebelled remember they said we can't do what go into the land that's what they said. This is the younger generation. They had, all, they had already died out. So these are the young ones. They're going in to possess the land. The older generation missed out on this because they, they died in the wilderness and their rebellion. So they took all the cities, verse 34. They utterly destroyed the men, women, and children, the little ones of every city, and left none remaining. They took the livestock because this was an agrarian society. Okay. We took only livestock and plunder. And for, and from Aurora, Aurora rather, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from that city, is in the ravine as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us. I like that last phrase right there. The Lord our God did what, delivered, all to us. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon. Anywhere along the river Jabbok to the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord your God has forbidden us so they conquested Sihon the Lord had gave them that land but God said that he was going to do that 38 years earlier but that generation didn't believe so they fell in the wilderness God again is being faithful to his promise he told them that what he's gonna, he, he gave this land to them and so he's beginning to show this with these uh, these victories so big ideas we get ready to close and anyone have any comments or questions or interjections yeah if anyone wants to say something you can come to the mic and 
hold it and say it. No one wants to say anything or have any questions or anything like that. So what can we learn from these things? Number one, we talked about the sin of uh, rebellion, and that was the <laughs> pretty much overall narrative of of uh, Israel uh, up to this point. Rebellion and disbelief, uh, those are grave sins. I think I think that disbelief leads to rebellion. Disbelief of God leads to rebellion against God. Because you don't believe God, because you don't believe the promises of God, you're going to rebel. And the same can be applied to the gospel. Those who disbelieve the gospel, when the gospel is presented to people, they disbelieve that very gospel. So guess what? They rebel against God. Those who are unbelievers right now, they don't believe the gospel. And it shows in their rebellion against God. They're basically solidly shaking their fists against God. So that's why it is important for those who hear the gospel to receive it to believe it and to repent and turn to the Lord and be saved because if not they're going to rebel against God and what does God do what God can do is a person who continues in their rebellion is given over to that rebellion as a judgment against them just as he judged that older generation the consequences of their rebellion was turning them over to it and they had to pay for it 38 years in the wilderness circling around the mountain uh, in essence that's a long time but that is the consequences those are the consequences of rebellion a holy God has to punish that but the gospel provides relief. You turn to Christ and be saved. God takes that rebellious heart and gives you a heart of what? Worship. He gives you a heart that believes God. <laughs> you know, he gives you a heart that believes his promises. A heart that believes his word. A heart that longs to hear from God and not from some false preacher or false prophet coming to you saying I got a word from the Lord from you and don't even open their Bible okay when, when, when God turns that rebellious heart towards him you are no longer under his wrath the wrath of God is removed from you and he gives you a heart that, that, that longs and desires to worship him and him alone it doesn't mean that we don't sin but the, the, the great thing about it is that uh, when we do sin we have an advocate Jesus Christ the righteous 1 John 2 and 1 we have an advocate when we do sin Moses was was you know advocate he was uh, a type of Christ as, as, as advocate but there were times when his advocacy uh, didn't work but Christ's advocacy is perfect Christ advocates for us. He intercedes for us as our high priest. So we see the consequences of rebellion. 
may God gives us give us hearts as believers to always trust in him trust God I tell myself that there are a lot of things I, I, I pray for some prayers haven't been answered I, there are people I'm praying for to be saved like in my family and you know outside of my family praying that God saves them people that I, you know I, I can't talk to or whatever but people that I know former students and, and friends and family members that I pray for their salvation I continue to pray for them that God saves them not that they just start acting right because they can't act right if they're not saved <laughs> you know it, you know I, we, have, we, have to, we have to learn that I wish they just acted right but a person can't straighten up if their hearts haven't been straightened they have to be regenerated so that's the overall um, message and also God is merciful and God is patient he was merciful and patient with Israel despite their rebellion he still provided for them it doesn't say it in this passage but you remember God gave them manna every day for those 40 years he gave them the world's best and most reliable GPS system the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night Sometimes Google Maps can lead us to, like, where in the world am I going? Or I could have gone a different way. Could have gone a shorter way. Oh, this route has the, you know, quickest time, and you end up in a traffic jam still. So, you know, it could be unreliable, but God gave them the best global positioning system. He cared for his people despite their rebellion. God cares for those still who rebel against him to this day through common grace. But he has a special care for his followers. Amen. I think that's a good place to land this plane. So let's pray right quick as we close. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for showing us that we need you. We need a savior. Only through Jesus Christ can our various hearts be turned to you. And Lord, help us to see our rebellion when we solidly rebel against you and repent of it. And Lord, I, I pray that those who are in rebellion against you, those who are in sin, those who are living in their sins, those who have rejected the gospel message, Father, that you use this message, use the gospel to convict them of their sins and to bring them to repentance so that their hearts may be turned from rebellion to worship of the one true God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.